The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 12 to go. Hamlin, Logano, Alex Bowman. Here we go. Denny Hamlin gets to the gearbox cleanly. Here comes Alex Bowman. Bowman to the bottom of the racetrack. He wants the number two spot against Joey Logano. They are wheel to wheel for second. Alex Bowman to the two spot. He's not done yet. Bowman down to the inside going after the race lead. He's got a wheel inside of Denny Hamlin. Hamlin now is going to have to try and fight him off of the outside group. Hamlin is hanging with him, but now it is over. Bowman gets a great jump through the center of turns one and two. Bowman to the lead. Sideways off the corner, and Alex Bowman wins. Holy cow. Hell yes. Can't believe we just did that at Richmond. Alex Bowman coming out of nowhere on the last restart when it mattered the most. Comes up and picks up the win. I don't know if Greg pumped the pressures way up or what he did, but that's more grip than I've ever had in a race car at Richmond, and it worked out really well. Oh, it's a good weekend to be named Alex in motorsports, right? Alex Bowman wins at Richmond. Alex Pillow wins at Barber for Chip Ganassi Racing and IndyCar. Welcome to Motormouse, everyone. Marty Snyder, Nate Ryan, Steve Latart joining you here. All right, who had Alex Bowman in their fantasy lineup? Um, I did not. I can't say that I did. As a matter of fact, I was all in on the Joey Logano train, so the last <laughs> yeah. caution made me sad. I had the wrong Hendrick drivers in my lineup. I had, oh, I had Kyle Larson in my lineup. It? I was yeah. texting Dell Jr. after the race because he and I are 1-2 in our fantasy league. I, no, Sunday he's morning. you're a distant. <laughs> I'm not. Well, I'm more distant after Sunday. Thank you for pointing that out, Steve. I, I brilliantly Sunday morning pulled out. Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano from my lineup. So that was a good move on my part. So, in, in all honesty, terrific final restart for Alex Bowman. Steve, I don't think if anyone was picking a Hendrick driver in all sincerity, they probably wouldn't have put Bowman with one career top ten at Richmond in their lineup for the weekend. I was all in on Kyle Larson. I thought day race at Richmond, low grip. He was going to find something. He's very hard to judge because he's new to the Hendrick camp. Didn't know how he would show up and uh, he never did show up to be quite honest mm. the car was never very good it was nowhere in play I think Alex Bowman was the guy that just did well enough to stay off the radar both ways right he wasn't bad so we didn't get to see Alex Bowman struggling he had that one pit road penalty he recovered from um, and in the end uh, I'm gonna have to give credit uh, Clinton Jeff pointed it out with like 40 to go they said hey Alex Bowman like in fifth is running great lap times uh, which is sometimes hard to see at a racetrack when it gets a little spread out. And Greg Ives makes these magical air pressure adjustments. And the thing right here is, I think, the most impressive part is that mm-hmm. that thing has enough grip. I think Denny Hamlin overdrives it, doesn't get to his door, and game over. Once the 48 clear the 11. And this is really big for Hendrick Motorsports because now suddenly you have William Byron, Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson all locked in the playoffs. Right. I mean, the defending series champion, Chase Elliott, is a given. There are five more road courses in the regular season. <laughs> right, I mean, there's, right. he's going to make it on points regardless, but we know he's going to win one of those five road course races. Suddenly, Hendrick Motorsports is sitting very, very pretty for the championship race. So, speaking of Alex Bowman, he'll be joining us on the show here shortly. We'll also have Scott McLaughlin, the driver for 
Team Penske, the sensational rookie after his run at Barber Motorsports Park this past week. And also Mike Bagley from Sirius XM will join us as well. So, Steve, kind of take us inside the game a, a little bit. So the, the adjustment that had to be made on that final stop by Greg Ives, I mean, how – if you're on top of the pit box, how aggressive is that move knowing, hey, I've got a five-lap run and this is my shot? Well, everyone is doing it. Everyone knows adjustments can be made. The biggest question is, do you hit them correctly? Because it's not as simple as just add some grip to the car. Because if you add too much grip to the front or to the back, while you have more overall grip, you're going to be ill-handling. The car's not going to drive very well, and your entire balance is going to be shot. So it's kind of like throwing dart at a moving dart board, not even really sure what you're supposed to aim at. Um, you're probably not going to put fuel in, so you're going to have more nose weight. You're going to put air in the tires, not the same amount all the way around. How do you do that? How aggressive can you be? I actually look at, uh, and you and I had this conversation earlier, Greg Ives, I'll say showed his hand and then tucked it right back on the table <laughs> when he said he had learned something in that first 30-lap sprint to the comp yellow. Interesting. So he must have had some higher air pressures there. Um, look, they all did it. You know, I don't want to make it sound like Greg Ives is the only one on pit road that increased the air pressure, but he did it better than everyone else. And that's, listen... What did Joey Logano said? He stole a race? I disagree. You don't ever steal a race. You put yourself in position when the opportunity comes your way, the 48 pounds. And it was an impressive start, an impressive lap. But those last couple laps, slowing down quick. Yeah, I, he was, <laughs> Alex Bowman was very, very squirrely off of turn four on yeah. that final lap. And I think that's why Joey Logano said, hey, they kind of stole one here. Because if it would have gone another lap, I don't think Alex Bowman wins that race. Which, again, testament to Greg Ives' genius and gutsiness here that he decided, like, hey, we got, what, 10 green flag laps? That's going to be just enough for this magic air pressure adjustment that I've been keeping in my back pocket since the first run of the race. Mm. Let's use it, try it, and see if we can win. Well, from look, if you're wrong, what's the worst? You run fifth. Yeah. Guys, wins, right. wins, yeah. wins. When yeah. can we stop well, talking and, about and points? Well, they're 17th in points like, going yeah. on to that final. You know, you're going, if you're Alex Bowman, and I'll ask him this in a minute, you're 17th in points. You know that's my shot. It's right there. That, the, the playoffs are right there in front of me. I got to get by those two guys and I'm in. And, and it's going to get, I don't, I'm not a prescriber to 16 winners. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. But the simple fact is we're going to have a lot of winners. I expect Kyle Busch to win. Brad Kozlowski's not out of the question. Chase Elliott, the list continues. Some guy Hamlin. Hamlin. <laughs> there, there's four right there. See, look, we have eight winners. You, you put Hamlin win, Elliott win, Harvick win, Brad win, Kyle win. But well, now you really only have three spots left. Well, it's not outside of the question. Ryan Newman, what if he wins this week at Talladega? What if Bubba Wallace finds a way to victory lane? What if Matt DiBenedetto wins at, you know, a short track later in the year? There, while I don't, Kurt Busch, he won a year ago. Mm-hmm. Not having the best year, but not awful. In position, he can upset this. So I'm not saying 16 winners. But, man, when there's only one or two seats available on points, Nate, it becomes tough. Plus, we talked about this last week, points. Those road courses hard to score points at the road courses. And, you know, the the guy you just mentioned, everybody expects Denny Hamlin is going to win a race, but it was a really interesting discussion that Stevie had on the NASCAR NBC podcast this morning, which is out, and people can check it out, about Hamlin and Gabehart being at this really critical crossroads moment. Because we just saw that the point standings there are incredible. I mean, they're they're miles ahead of everybody. They're going to make the playoffs, no question. But at what point, Stevie, does this inability to... Execute. You, they execute 99.5 percent of the time, but every time it comes down to it, they're just they're missing that one little bit. Yeah, they're locked in. There's no doubt. I mean, they're locked in. They're running every every race really almost perfectly. It's the almost that's the concern. Uh, Bristol dirt. All right, it's dirt. I'm gonna take that out. Martinsville, Denny's strongest racetrack by the numbers. He gets beat by his teammate Martin Truex Jr. Then you go to Richmond. Politely, he was beat by Logano before the caution came out. He wasn't catching the Logano, I don't think. 
Then his pit crew gives him the track position on pit road. And I'm not putting this all on Denny, but as a team, Gabe Hart's adjustments, Denny driving, the spotter, whatever, you know, it takes everyone. They're unable to close the door. So to your point, they are on a very, very, very important tee in the season because winning both stages and second in the race can be another stepping stone to greatness. But if you let that become a disappointment, I'm not sure. That's a, that's a deep, dark spiral you want to go down. I mean, you literally are one spot in one stage from a perfect weekend. Well, and, and to your point, one of his longtime crew members, Sean Curlin, on, a, on one of his Facebook posts said, another good points day and like four angry faces. So <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think that starts to build on a race team, Steve, and that starts to weigh on a race team, even as good as they are. Even with Talladega coming up this week, where he's fantastic and is the defending winner there from last fall, I think the team is starting to go, okay, when are we finally going to make that happen? We say that, but if I could be the crew chief for any team, it would be this one. Oh, and that's uh, Denny's point after the race. I'll take it all day, every day. If you're telling me the toughest part of my job is to keep my driver, who I think is absolutely dialed in, who continues to run on the top five, just a little mo- like little motivated, okay, I'll take that job. <laughs> because I'm not trying to have fast cars and a good pit crew and a great organized race team. You know, you cannot hold good teams out of victory lane. Right. That's what happens. Right. And, and I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about the disappointment. Denny Hamlin, if he continues to run in the top five, we say it all, it was Chase Elliott in his rookie year, so many seconds. Kyle Larson, so many seconds on the mile and a half. Guess what? They're great stories because they come to an end. And this windless drought is going to come to an end. Might as well be at Talladega because it's the most <laughs> right. chaotic race yeah, of the yeah. year. So why not the win most, there? Yeah, most arbitrary results ever, and he'll yeah. probably win it. But, I mean, th- this is frustrating. Uh, and you look at the way he's lost these last two, and – Yes, he says all the right things afterwards, and yes, I'm sure Gabe Hart is preaching today to that 11 team, hey, we're going to stick together, we're going to get through this, the wins are going to come, to your point. But when you win after an 11.2-second pit stop lifts you into the lead over Joey Logano, and all you got to do is just hold serve on that final restart, and you've been the best team all year, to have Bowman come from third to first and snatch it away, that's really, really tough. And especially coming on the heels of Martinsville, another home state racetrack, for Denny Hamlin, you know, two straight Virginia tracks, one of them being his hometown track in Richmond, and, you know, the same thing when he got passed with, by Martin Truex Jr. with 15 or 20 laps to go. It just mm-hmm. it feels to me, Stevie, like uh, it almost, it, on one hand, it feels like that, yes, the winds are going to come and that, the, you know, the floodgates are going to open, but also like that there could be like this almost breaking point at like at, which, at, what, right. at what point does the team like to say enough? I'm less concerned about this duo because of their approach. I've had a lot of conversations with Gabe Hart all the way back to the tape on the grill at Homestead a couple years ago about <laughs> yeah. their approach. His approach that year was aggression, aggression, aggression. His approach a year ago was very systematic. This is what I need Denny to do. And I'm telling you, it was very systematic. I want you to run this good, understand on, on you know, restarts how much you're willing to give up versus how much you're willing to gain. No stone, I felt, was left unturned. For that reason, because there is a system and because there is data, I believe it's easier to avoid the emotion and stick to your guns. I've had some private conversations with Denny, and the frustration we see on Sunday doesn't linger into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think that would be a concern if on Thursday he's still talking about not winning. That would bother me, but he's not. He keeps talking about we will win, we have to just stick at it. But that Alex Bowman performance does make it harder to sit back and watch another guy to go to victory lane. And that's one area where Denny has certainly improved over the years, not letting those finishes or the bad results maybe or the results he didn't want. Uh, get, to, get to him during the week. So, of course, it's Motor Mouse. We want to hear from you guys at 844-NASCAR-NBC. NASCAR is our first caller of the day. I know you're surprised, Nate. NASCAR, how you doing, bud? 
Good, good. Hey, Steve, I got to give you a quick shout out. Thanks for saying that Newman could win a race. Hey, the parody in our sport. <laughs> so I appreciate that. No, seriously, no matter how he won, Bowman won. Would you give them a very slight edge over Gibbs and Penske for the fact that, hey, they do got three cars now out of four in victory lane? Uh, good question. I don't believe it's an edge. Um, I, while they have won with three races, I think they've considerably I should say considerably, but they've been short on speed versus Penske and Gibbs at some of the tracks. Uh, this is probably, in my mind, the most impressive win. Well, actually, both the mile-and-a-half wins, Byron and Larson, really impressed me with the speed they had in their cars at both of their wins. Um, so I would not give Hendrick the edge. I do think, though, it's a scary group because once the pressure of the playoffs is behind you, they can then go to attack mode and just gobbling up those playoff points. And that's really what this is all about now. You know, once you get in, how securely can you move forward? We'll see what they do with that. Right. I think you're right, Steve. I think that Gibbs and Penske probably have shown more speed. But I'll go back to my original point that I think Hendrick feels like we're locked in all four now. I mean, Chase is going to win or he's going to get on points. We know we're all, all four in the playoffs. And if you're Gibbs and Penske right now and you've got Kyle Busch hasn't won and is still that team still seems they've got speed, but they're a little bit off. Penske. Kozlowski still hasn't won. I mean, I feel like there's some lingering doubts for both of those teams, even though they have shown more speed than Hendrick. To your point, you talked about on the podcast today, Hendrick has that equality, that balance, that I don't know if Gibbs and Penske quite have it to their degree. But it's scary. I will say one thing, though. While I agree with you with the nine being locked in, I bet Alan Gustafson would not. No, but I know how they're wired. Well, and to that Alan, point, the yeah. ink is dry. They're not in. Who would have thought a fourth of the way into the season here that that would be the one Hendrick car that had not won? And, yeah. and we've already had one road course race under the belt as well. Yeah, the I know they're not worried about it. No, but, but the championship know. hangover is real. I mean, the hardest thing to do. I worked for Jeff Gordon through all those championships. Uh, that's what made Jimmy Johnson's run so impressive. Um, is once you've reached the top of the mountain, it's not a motivation thing. It's just, you know, anything you do is less than what you just did. So it's, it's very easy to kind of get spun up in that. I'm not concerned about the nine. I think they found the right recipe last year. I expect them to be there again this year. But would you almost take it, Nate, with their consistency that they've been delivering? I mean, they, unlike the past, I mean, they have been solid every week wherever they've gone. And there's been no up and downs for Chase Elliott. It's just been solid, just minus the win. Exactly. I mean, that's what feels different this year, Marty, about Hendrick is, you know, you get back to the, the first couple of years of the Camaro. There were, there were those struggles early on. And certainly... A year ago, I don't know how many of us were saying that Chase Elliott was going to be your 2020 championship driver. I mean, granted, Chase and Gustafson rounded into form, certainly in the playoffs, but it just it feels completely different now, and I, I would take what they've got now without the win. So my counter point. would be, I think Joe Gibbs feels just as comfortable. Yeah. Because the two cars that haven't won are Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. Exactly. So, so they won't say that once again. Now, Denny might. He might yeah. say, man, I feel pretty good on points. Kyle probably doesn't feel great on points. Uh, but, but, you know... And you know what I've learned about race car drivers? They don't care about the playoffs and the playoff points, why they want them. They race to win. So what they really want to do is they don't want to make the playoffs. They don't want to limp into the playoffs. They, they want to be a factor in every race and a factor in the playoffs. And that's the battle we're getting ready to see now. The battle we're getting ready to see is not who else is going to make the playoffs. That's a great talking point for us. But if you're Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick and guys, Martin Trix Jr., and you think you belong in Phoenix... Well, you got, what, 20-something races left to prove it to the world. One other takeaway I want to get to from Richmond. Uh, Kevin Harvick and that team, ran, they ran very well. They Much looked improved. like they were going to be a top five. So I'm, I'm curious to get your take on that, Steve and Nate, from what did that tell you about the rest of the season for Kevin Harvick? What did that kind of shine a light on? So 
I am now a believer to what Rodney Childers told us three weeks ago. Maybe I should have believed him. He told me, hey, go buy this pressure washer. He was right. It's the best pressure washer I've ever bought. Maybe I should leave, believe him more because he went on radio and said, hey, there's been some template changes, which I'm aware of, but he said it really hurt our cards. I was like, why I believe him? Like, could that really be enough? We knew Martinsville was going to be a struggle. It was a struggle a year ago. It didn't surprise me. Richmond, I'm not saying it's been a great racetrack for Harvick, but you expect him to run well. He ran right where I expected Kevin Harvick of any the last five years could have or should have run. I know he wrecked. So now I think I believe they know what the issue is at all the big racetracks. Now the question, limited wind tunnel time, the rules are very tight. Can they find it? Because just because you're missing it doesn't mean you can find it. That's the next step for me with Kevin Harvick in the fourth. Yeah, the affirmation for me here was not just Harvick's performance, but was Eric Almirola running top five, finishing sixth. I mean, that to me says that Stuart Haas Racing really does, you know, to what you just said, Stevie, what, what Childers said a few weeks ago, that being down on downforce on the aero tracks, and that is not imaginary. That's clearly evident based on how well the four and the number 10 of Almirola ran uh, at Richmond. So I, I think some signs of encouragement there if you're Stuart Haas Racing, I mean, I would think that they will get it figured out at some point this year, and they know that it seems like it's it's probably more the, the big super speedways in the short track. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, it answers a lot of questions what we've seen out of the four car the last two years. Meaning? Most trimmed out car, backed out, right. still has a ton of grip because they were making downforce <clears throat> other places. But now that is gone. So now they're either going to have to stand that car up or figure out a plan B. But their current setup and aerodynamic platform is not working at the big tracks. A lot of good insight from you in this first segment, Stevie. When we come back, we will talk to the Richmond winner, Alex Bowman. He'll join us here on Motor Mouths. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. since 2008 that uh, Hendrick Motorsports has been in victory lane at Richmond. I- I'm kind of curious. Do you remember where you were last time they were in victory lane at Richmond? What you were doing? Oh, uh, 2008. I was, uh, man, 15. So I was running, uh, USAC focus midgets. Uh, don't know where, but probably racing somewhere. So, um, that's uh it's really neat you know this is a place that as a company we've struggled at for a while and uh to be able to come here and and get a win is is really cool 15 years old huh alex bowman a much older alex bowman joins us here on motor mouse how you doing man congratulations on the big win yeah thank you thank you guys for having me i uh i appreciate it i'm i'm recovering everything's going well it's been a good day (laughs) 
I was going to ask you, so I'm, I'm sure you had fun at the party, but did you make the competition meeting this morning? That's the big question. Yeah, I was like a minute and a half late, but I still made it. So uh, <laughs> the, the coffee drive through line was longer than expected, but oh. got some caffeine, was ready to go. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of those you want to go to because you actually have something good to say. That's a good point. It's a good point. Nate, you can start us off here, man. Yeah, sure. Uh, Alex, you know, I know that the post-race interview was rather emotional, and I know that, uh, you know, you had you guys lost a team member, Rowdy Howell, in the uh, offseason. Just wanted to ask you, you know, what was that like? You know, what, was it, what did it mean, I guess, for you to get that win uh, in his absence and for the team to get that win in his absence? I know you, you dedicated it to his family, just like what the aftermath there has been like for you. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think it was really special for all of us. Um, you know, we knew, I felt like I knew at some point uh, we were going to get a win and, and that it was going to be really emotional. It had been emotional at different points throughout the season. Like kind of our first team meeting without him was pretty rough. So, um, you know, it just means a lot to uh, to get a win for, for him and Blakely. Um, you know, we, we miss them a lot every day. So just, um, you know, a really unfortunate tragedy and and miss him a lot. Yeah, I thought it was classy. I knew Rowdy, classy guy. Um, I want to talk about Richmond. It, it had been since 2008. We've seen some decent runs. Uh, you ran top 10 both stages. Looking at my notes, William Byron ran top 10 both stages. Day race, setup changes, a little bit of luck, a little bit of good guessing. Why all of a sudden the extra grip out of the Hendrick cars, or was it? Yeah, I feel like we've really just worked really hard on our short track program. Um, you know, Two years ago, Richmond, I think the playoff race, we finished like 24th or something. So, uh, you know, we had a lot of work cut out for us. And last year we improved pretty solidly, ended up somewhere in the top 10, had an okay day. And this year, you know, we were able to uh, to improve a lot. I feel like we had a better car than we showed all day. Um, obviously, we had some issues on pit road and had to start pretty far back, but passed about every car on the racetrack twice. and. Um, had a lot of fun doing it. So I just feel like we've improved that program. Um, excited to go to places like Loudoun that we've also struggled at and, and try to work on, on the same things there. But we had a really fast Ally Camaro. That thing was really good all day. And uh, it's a big credit to, to Greg Ives and the whole 48 team. Well, you mentioned you passed every car twice. I think that's fair. But there was one car that was the biggest to pass, and that was 11 on that final restart. Um, talk about it. We know on pit road, all the crew chiefs air the tires up, make a big kind of guess at where the car balance is going to be. What was your confidence level coming to the green versus the first time that thing rolled through one and two? Cause it looked like it was on a rail the first time through the corner. <laughs> yeah. My confidence level wasn't very high to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> uh, our short track or our short run speed was was pretty poor all day. Um, you know, twenty five laps into a run, we would start rolling, and everybody would kind of come back to us, and, and we could pass people. So um, I was like, man, if we get out of here with a, a solid top five, it'll be a good day, and um, we'll move on to Talladega. But drove down into one and two, and it just stuck. Um, you know, able to kind of start to get around the the twenty two, um, and then Denny really gave me the bottom honestly um you know i was just able to get underneath them pretty easily and, and get clear and, and start to drive away so greg obviously made great adjustments on that last stop um don't know what they were but they sure worked out and uh you know it, it started to uh to become a handful probably at the end it got pretty free but um it it, it was there when it mattered 
I like that. You don't need to know what they are. As long as they work, <laughs> I don't even know what they Notice are. Notice how you didn't even ask at the competition meeting. Smart I don't man. Care. We won. Who cares? Smart man. Greg's a good guy to believe in. I like that. Maybe a no condition ask Yeah, yeah. competition meeting. Uh, so, Alex, the, the first win for the number 48 Ally Chevrolet comes on the same day that the former driver of the number 48 Ally Chevrolet makes his IndyCar debut at Barber. I saw you had a little bit of a tribute last night on uh, Twitter to Jimmy Johnson with a shirt that you wore. Uh, if you want to tell us a little bit about that, and I'm sure that I know Jimmy tweeted uh, today about it, but I'm sure he probably texted you as well, just you know, what it was like uh, winning for the number 48 on the same day that Jimmy had this big career transition. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, you know, I think winning for Ally and everything we had going on, um, the 48 thing kind of slipped my mind that that it was our first win in the 48 car. So. <laughs> Um, really cool to, uh, to, to be able to do that, you know, to get that car back where it belongs in victory lane to get ally their, their first points win, um, the shirt, right. So everybody saw the tweet a couple of years ago, somebody told Jimmy he was done and he said, I'm far from done J A. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so he put it on a shirt and it's got his face on it and I wear it all the time because I think it's one of the more epic shirts ever. And it was fitting yesterday. Um, it was already packed in my bag. It, it wasn't, um, planned or anything, but it definitely fit, um, you know, really cool to, uh, to get a win like that. And Jimmy was a, a huge part of my career. Um, you know, a, a big person to lean on at HMS, uh, super helpful each and every week. And, uh, really cool to see him having a lot of fun racing IndyCar stuff. Hey, I know you said that uh, that you didn't have a lot of confidence going into that final restart, but does it go through your mind and do you process it all sitting there knowing that you've got to get by two guys and that's it, and you're 17th in points at that moment, and your season can change if you can execute those final few laps? Like, did that process at all in your mind that it was right there for you, the playoffs were right there? Honestly, no, because I feel like I've been really confident that – if we just start executing, we can make the playoffs. You know, we've had one of the fastest race cars uh, really the last four weeks. So I felt like we just needed to execute and, and stop beating ourselves, um, whether it was, you know, breaking the transmission in Bristol, having our issues at Martinsville. Um, you know, we've, we've been really fast when we've had those issues. So the playoff thing wasn't really on my mind. The points thing wasn't there. Um, you know, really just took what the race car would give me. The race car gave me a lot, so um, it, it worked out really well. So, Alex, I'm going to let you know that your 15-year-old comment from 2008 um, cut a little deep here. I think it's going to cut Jimmy Johnson. I think it's going to cut Jeff Gordon and everybody else. That was at Hendrick in 2008. But I, I, that kind of brings me to my question. Nate and I talked about this on his podcast earlier today. I know my invite will be declined, but I would love to sit in a Hendrick competition meeting and see who is the vocal one, right, because you – have success, but are pretty, you know, mild-mannered. Larson, mild-mannered. William, the same way. Chase, the same way. So give me what insight you're allowed to give me. Like, is there a leader in the group? Is it really by committee? How are these meetings run now without a Jeff Gordon or Jimmy Johnson, Dale Jr. behind the wheel? You know Chad Knauss is in that meeting, right? That's what I said. I thought that was the answer. I just wanted to – I didn't want to lead the witness. I didn't want to lead the witness. Yeah, yeah. He – He's really taken over those meetings and does a really good job leading and extracting information from some quiet personalities. So, um, you know, he, he's, he does good with that. Like you said, uh, I'm probably the most quiet of, of the four, but, um, you know, Larson and, and William are pretty quiet. And, 
Chase, honestly, he calls in most of the time. Obviously, he doesn't live here full time. So, um, you know, he uh, he's over the phone. So it's just one of those deals. I feel like Chad kind of has to work a little hard to get us to talk sometimes, but it, it works out all right. I would say it has. Three cars with wins and Chase looking pretty good. I love how point. he instantly had that answer. You realize, Chad. I didn't lead him, though. <laughs> for the record, I good didn't job, lead him. Uh, we have a caller who has a question for you, Alex. Go ahead. Hi, Alex. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations on your win this weekend. Um, in your Thank post-race you. interview, you mentioned – yeah, you're welcome. In your post-race interview, um, you mentioned looking forward to getting some more wins this season. Um, it's kind of funny looking back at all your wins. Chicagoland off the schedule. Auto Club off the schedule. Um, so what are some tracks kind of that you're looking for that you like feel the success there? Maybe some similar tracks like Charlotte or Michigan or now maybe even a short track. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm like the Grim Reaper of racetracks. So um, <laughs> the folks at Richmond Raceway probably aren't excited to hear that. Um, everywhere that, that I have won at, we don't go to anymore. So um, I, I don't know. I feel like going to Kansas will have a really good shot. Uh, Charlotte Oval will have a really good shot. There's a lot of really good racetracks for us coming up. Probably most excited about Kansas. That's probably my favorite racetrack we go to. Um, you know, as it ages, it's getting back pretty similar to Chicago and um, a place that I feel like we can win at. Charlotte, we won a bunch of stages last year, led a lot of laps, didn't have much to show for it at the end of the day, but. Um, you know, I feel like we, we can go there as well and, and hopefully win some races. So, Alex, this weekend, Talladega, I want to ask you about manufacturer alliances. I mean, for a couple of years there, the manufacturer alliances were alive and well, and, man, you had to stick with them. Seems like that game's kind of calmed down a little bit. Kind of give us a Talladega preview from that standpoint this weekend. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. We were just having meetings talking about the new Corvette. Um, there you go. Silverado's. There's the company line. Blazers, Trailblazers, we got all kinds of all kinds of vehicles we we talk about in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a big part of what we do at Super Speedways. Um, you can't win those races alone. You can't win those races with just your teammates. You know, it it takes uh, a lot of cars and a lot of help to make that happen. So um, we weren't the first to it, but we try our best to uh, to perfect it a little bit and to do the best we can with it. And I feel like we've, we've done a really good job of that. Um, Daytona, we ran like 12 laps. So uh, I don't really know how, how it's going to go in Talladega, but excited to get there. And I feel like we have some of the best in the business um, building these race cars. Our, our engine shop at Hendrick Motorsports does an amazing job. And everybody at Chevrolet does a really good job putting together uh, the right plan. And hopefully we, we beat all the rest of the guys and put a bow tie in victory lane. Alex, do not let the TV guy move the week ahead. It's the day after the win. <laughs> Tell them you haven't even thought about Talladega. Just enjoy Richmond. Congratulations, man. It was a heck of a finish for really a solid day, uh, but you capped it off the right way, man. Congrats to you and Greg and the whole team. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm going to go drink some more beers now. <laughs> All right. I was going to say, he did enjoy it, Steve. The party uh, evidently phenomenal, and he made Listen, the competition meeting. These are so. hard to win. I That's know right. some teams make it look easy. Don't let it be discounted. I'm not trying to move the week 40. Oh, you did. You're right. Greg, I'm already Monday. thinking about Talladega. Not even Friday practice, Marty. you got to let him get at least I understand Wednesday. that. Coming up next, Scott McLaughlin from Team Penske in the IndyCar Series. He'll join us here next on Motor Mouse.
Welcome back to Motor Mouse. It was an interesting Barber weekend, including this lap one wreck. Joseph Newgarden goes off and collects all of those race cars. Boy, the IndyCar season got off to an interesting start, including this moment for Ryan Hunter Ray. We will talk about that coming up in a moment. Scary moment. Ryan Hunter Ray tweeting this. We will dive into that with uh, Nate Ryan and Steve Letarte here in just a moment. But that aero screen certainly gaining a lot of fans. Also in the race, joining us right now here on Motor Mail, Scott McLaughlin from Team Penske. Uh, how are you feeling after 90 laps at Barber, Scott? Well, I'm not feeling too flash, Marty. I'll give you the tip. I'm, uh, yeah, I feel like I've been hit by a truck a little bit. But, you know, that's all part of learning the IndyCar side. And, um, you know, I've, I'm really pr proud of my preparation. I, I felt as prepared as I possibly could be going into this race. And, and um, you know, I felt like I used that time to my ability. And physically, yeah, I, I'm sore right now, but I could have been a lot worse and, and feeling good about that. Yeah, Scott, you know, I think we talked about on the weekend coverage that you had actually spent a lot of time in the offseason training, and I think you lost a lot of weight. Uh, and yet, despite all that, it sounds like Barber still was extreme physical test is it one of those things like where y you can prepare as much as you want but until you get in there for 90 laps in two hours you're not really going to know how it's going to affect your body yeah and i think in addition to that since they've last been there in 2019 the the uh the track has been repaved so it was for sure um a lot more grip out there especially on the red softer grippier tire so the, the steering loads and the forces through the wheel were were crazy um so it was it, for that that was a big thing but yeah absolutely uh, I, I spoke to the guys about neck exercises and and trying to prepare my neck for this but you know it's one of those things where you, you can only do so much before you get into the car the car is your best tool and thankfully you know i've got three weeks ahead of me i've got st pete this weekend and then texas again as an oval race a double header which will be tough as well in the heat so, Scott, you know, Jimmy Johnson's made a lot of the headlines transitioning from NASCAR to NASCAR champion in IndyCar. Well, you being a, a supercar champion now in IndyCar, I've talked with Jimmy a lot about some of his, I don't call them struggles, but the transition, where he's had to learn this yep. car the most under braking, it seems. So take me behind the wheel from a supercar to an IndyCar. What is the biggest difference, like the grip level, is acceleration, decel, cornering? Yeah, a bit of everything. But the aerodynamics is probably the main thing. Learning to trust them, Steve, is really really hard it's your mind's telling you one thing but your right foot's telling you the other thing as well so you're letting go of the gas and there's just you know you, you, you're just trying to build that and it's taken me basically two and a half two two test days plus half a day in the car at barber to genuinely be comfortable with you know at some corners of the track and committing to the aerodynamics of the car but along with that you have the steering loads which is you know phenomenal the, the you know no power steering which is crazy and if you can run more caster you your car turns better but you can't turn the wheels it's a bit harder but you sort of gotta you know get 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 a bit stronger and and take it all in and and um yeah i certainly feel like we did okay there you know, I know 14th wasn't necessarily what you wanted, Scott, but better than your debut at St. Pete last year and that, you, you know, you're able to get to the finish at least. Um, did it go better or worse than you expected? Did you have a top 10 goal or, you know, just how did your, your first race of a full season in IndyCar go? Yeah, I, I had to get one under my belt there, Nate. I, I had to really uh, make sure I got to the flag this time. And, and yeah, that, St. Pete was disappointing not to finish, um, but we had good pace. We showed, you know, that we probably had the back end of the 10 sort of pace. And for my first run, I feel pretty happy about that. We probably just were a bit conservative on strategy. You know, like we could have probably done the two-stop strategy like many of the guys at the front did. Um, but the guys for my first go, they wanted me to push hard, feel what the tyres did. 
um, you know, instead of fuel saving and maybe going into St. Pete even more unknown and what the red tie does over a stint and the, and the black tie. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where as a race driver, I always want better and I want to reach my full potential. I don't think we probably did that in the race, but we had a solid race. We got some points and we got to the flag and, and that's the main, the main objective, of course. Hey, Scott, I, I uh, had a chat with your teammate, Joseph Newgarden, and we, we all kind of joke that Jimmy's the happiest slow guy on the racetrack. Like, he's just enjoying everything, like taking it all in. And, yeah. and Joseph said the same thing about you. You have a little bit more speed than Jimmy does, but he related a story about the Texas test, and he said you guys ran around each other for like five laps, and you got out of the car, and you came to, came to Joseph, and you're like, that was awesome. And Joseph was, Joseph was like, <laughs> What was awesome? And he was like, yeah. we ran together for five laps. It was so cool. Just, yeah. And you breathe yeah. energy into these guys when you do that. So just talk to me about how new this is and how much fun it is for you and how much you're enjoying just the experience of it, even if it's not a, a podium finish. Yeah, Marty, I've been dreaming of doing this since I was a kid. I've, I've always wanted to be in America. I've lived and breathed American you know, culture, American racing. I've even married an American girl. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I love America. And to be here racing on the ovals and on tracks that you know, I've, I've, I've seen over time and then to battle Joseph, a, a two-time champion, um, you know, who's, a, who's one of the, the best we've seen in the sport is you know, really cool. Um, but, yeah, just huge amount of uh, enthusiasm. But I, I, put my, I put a lot of pressure on myself as well to perform and, and um, like I said, I was frustrated with 14th because I felt like we didn't show our true potential. Mm-hmm. But now I've got to be realistic with myself right at this time. The American culture includes Bed Bath & Beyond, which Scott has found. And he goes a record amount of times, right, Nate? I mean, oh, yeah. you, you've dove into that. And, and so how many times has it been now? Because we've got to educate Steve of your love of Bed Bath & Beyond here. I'm very surprised I haven't got a sponsorship yet, that's for sure. But yeah, too many times. Too many times. So if anyone's uh, watching this Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm your boy. Uh, that's good stuff well Scott great hanging out with you man look forward to seeing you in St. Pete no worries thanks for the coverage guys appreciate it yeah Scott McLaughlin he is so much fun to be around and and that enthusiasm like you know Newgarden was telling me it just literally breathes life into the team like a a simple five lap run together at a test at Texas he thought it was the greatest thing on the planet well if that's the greatest thing on the planet when he rolls through gasoline alley in and out with Speedway with Penske on your chest that would be probably the next thing I would be looking forward to if I was him. It's great to see, and I brought that up because so much has been made of Jimmy uh, because he is, you know, an American race car driver who found success in NASCAR. But people don't realize Scott has a very impressive history oh, yeah. behind the wheel. So this is a tough transition for him as well, uh, much to your really polite kind of jab of a question from his first start to his second start. I did see marked improvement yeah. as far as there was times during the race that he did show, I think, patience. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I think his point's well taken about, like, we just needed to finish. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. after St. Pete didn't go great for him in that debut last year, uh, knowing now that he's going to St. Pete next week. and, right. and, and I, track he's been to before. Yeah, obviously. it would not surprise me at all if he finished top five. I'm we not saw sure. some yeah. St. Pete can be I It's mean, tough. Yeah. It's Whew. a tough place. Very little margin for error. So we just saw some video of Jimmy Johnson. Nate kind of break down his performance over the weekend. And, and I was kidding, but, but serious, because yeah. I was around Jimmy all weekend, and he was near the bottom of the charts, but he was so happy. He was like, this is the greatest thing ever. He's having so much fun. Steve and I talked about it on the podcast, and I think what's great about Jimmy in this journey, as he puts it, is that he's putting himself out there. 
Even someone mm -hmm. as accomplished as he is, 80-something victories, seven NASCAR championships, and he's not afraid just to say, well, I didn't qualify last, so that was a moral victory for me. Right. And laugh about it. And this is you know, one of the most successful NASCAR drivers of all time who is willing to take on this challenge at 45 years old mm -hmm. and understand that, to your point, Marty, he's, he's slow. I mean, and slow meaning like he's only a second off of some of the toughest you know, yeah. IndyCar drivers who have ever lived, which is saying something given the limited amount of track time he's, he's had. He's actually yeah. acclimated, I think, fairly well. But he knows, you know, we see here this spin that he had on lap nine when he got in the wake of, of Renus VK going up the hill here in turn 13. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of this this year. It's, it's going to be a learning curve for him, Steve, and, but he's aware of it. And the fact that he's willing to be, like, so vulnerable about it and show that he's going to have a good time regardless of his results says a lot about Jimmy. I think there's two things. One, there's a lot we can learn from a guy that can be that humble to go back all the way to start basically at ground zero. Uh, and the other thing I'll say is I... Jimmy's one of the nicest people you've ever met, and I love everything I'm seeing about it, but mark my words, somewhere the flame will get started, and it won't be okay to be slow. In Meaning it won't, field. yeah, he won't enjoy you know, some the point, experience by He's himself. not going to enjoy the experience by himself because he's too good. He's too aggressive. He's, he knows his enjoyment right now is a respect to the IndyCar field. He didn't walk over there thinking it would be easy. It really is what I see it as. It shows he walked over there going... Listen, guys, this is going to be tough. I know it's going to be tough, so I'm going to, I'm going to hedge my bets and I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, but he's too good. You get to race six, seven, eight. I expect him to go faster, uh, go to some places that maybe we talked about how physical Barber is, maybe yeah, how sure. tough St. Pete is. There are some other road courses that are neither. They're yeah. not quite as physical, not quite as precise, maybe a place with a little bit bigger margin for error. Well, he'll find comfort to push the car. Uh, maybe find a way to, you know. Yeah, Road America them. comes to mind, Mid-Ohio, another place that's tough, but you might have a little more margin for error. Uh, Nate, I want to dive into the aero screen thing and, and Ryan Hunter Ray's tweet and his kind of comments and thoughts after the race. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the video, maybe not as scary as what happened to Will Power at Iowa last year, but that's right. the second driver to say they honestly felt that, that the aero screen could have saved their life. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it was remarkable what Ryan Hunter Ray shared today. That, that video and those photos of showing Joseph Newgarden's right front wheel just literally going over his cockpit. And if that new safety device, that aero screen, which IndyCar implemented last year, isn't there, um, good chance that Newgarden's wheel probably hits Ryan Hunter Ray's helmet. And, you know, unfortunately, Mm. There have been a lot of situations in the history of IndyCar racing where that's where a driver is most vulnerable because that cockpit is open, and now it's got more protection because of the aero screen. And he mentioned it, Marty, last year at Iowa, similar instance where Colton Herta launched over Renus VK in both VK and Power, uh, who, because of debris, as we see that crash here from, yeah. from last July, uh, were, were in danger um, and were vulnerable, but were protected because of the aero screen, and uh, really just a testament to uh, Jay Fry, President of IndyCar, and everybody yeah. on his staff there for, for getting that implemented, Steve, because it's been a game changer already. We can stop having the conversation. I don't want to hear it. There's no other counter conversation, right? I mean, the proof's here. It doesn't matter if you don't like how it looks. doesn't matter if it's too warm. doesn't matter. Like, the issues are real. The issues need to be worked through. The IndyCar continues to work through them. Formula One continues to work through them. Open cockpit racing is amazing. This was a huge step forward for the safety in any open cockpit racing. So, in my mind, the case is closed on whether this was a good decision or not. Now it's just part of it. And it's shaping up to be a fun IndyCar season. These young guys, Alex Pillow, 
uh, Pato Award. They're going to be around all year long, Nate, and they're going to be challenging these veterans. That's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I, can't I don't think anybody thought Joseph Newgarden was going to crash at lap one on yeah, the Barber. I don't think it takes him out of the championship, though. I, I think there's time. There's enough time. And I and I'm, and what Colton Herta told me in, in that interview after he got out of the car is, this is going to happen to other people this yeah. year. There are going to be other mistakes, and so I don't think that they're out of it either. Yeah, so you hate to be the first. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Lap one of race one, and you're supposed to be the championship favorite, and you're out. I mean, that's not what you want at all. Nope. So, no doubt about it. Well, coming up next, on Motor Mouse, our good friend Mike Bagley from Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. He joins us. We'll break down all the happenings at Richmond with the Bagman. Yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating for sure. Um, you know, but honestly I'd like to I'd rather be Ryan than Alex Bowman. I, I don't care that he's gotta win. I mean, we're we're smashing everyone, so I'd rather still rather be where I'm at. Yeah, he's stolen us for sure. And uh, you know, congratulations to them. They uh they beat us and you know, I think probably their adjustments they made on that, that final pit stop uh, definitely made his car fire off. Uh, really well, and uh, you know he started to pay the penalty the last couple laps, but he's so far out, it didn't matter. Oh, always interesting comments after a cup race. Certainly, uh, that was the case on Sunday after Alex Bowman won, and the guys who fields the calls all the time, Mike Bagley, along with our friend Pete Pistoni, but Bagman joining us here from Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. How you doing, Mike? Good. How you doing, boys? How are things going tonight? We're all good. We're hanging out, chatting a little racing, having some fun. So uh, what do the fans think about what uh, Denny Hamlin had to say there, that I would rather be in my position, no wins, clearly leading the points, versus Alex Bowman, who's in the playoffs with a win? Boy, that's a little optimism there, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure he's saying that because he feels that a win is coming at some point. But right now he's killing everyone with consistency, which... As you go along, that's fine. But at some point, he's going to have to win races. You can only get so far with consistency. Um, Alex Bowman, though, I didn't see that one coming. Um, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. I don't think a lot of people saw Chase Elliott being the last one to win at Hendrick Motorsports in 2021. Well, Bagley, we just talked to Alex Bowman, and he didn't see it coming. Is basically what it told us <laughs> in the last restart. So it's fine that the fans didn't see it coming. Uh, you know, the Denny Hamlin conversation is interesting because he is re- leading the regular season points, but he's falling behind in the playoff point bucket. That's what wins are all about. So the question I have is, when you talk to the fans, what are they saying? Where do they stand on not just Denny Hamlin? You mentioned Chase Elliott winless, Brad Keselowski, uh, you know, Kyle Busch. Are these fans starting to panic about their drivers not going to victory lane? Well, it's fandom. Of course they're panicking. I mean, Kevin Harvick's <laughs> folks are going to pop up the ledge right now. You know, the Denny Hamlin folks like, what in the world's going on? Can we get a win up in here somewhere? But I would say, though, that in contrast to last year, remember, this time last year, it was the Harvick-Hamlin show. If one wasn't winning, the other one was finishing in second, and they were accumulating boo playoff points. Nobody's broken away with the playoff point bucket. Now, Danny is owning everybody with stage points through all the consistency that he's doing. But at least no one's really running away with a lot of stage points right now. Danny Allen fan, you want that guy to win. I mean, 11 points is the most playoff points that anybody has, and that's Martin Truex Jr., but they're all knotted up behind him. So really, there's no breakaway, but we've seen in years past those playoff points be that hot commodity and be that insurance premium like Kyle Busch talked about. Well, right now, we've not even jacked up the rates yet. Everybody's still almost at nil as they work their way through at least the first third, first quarter, the first quarter of the season. 
Hey, Bagman, staying on what you're hearing from the fans, when I visited with you and Pete last week on Morning Drive, uh, one of our topics was day versus night at Richmond. Uh, I know there were a wide range of opinions on that last week. Now that Richmond has had that Sunday day race, uh, going back to one race in the daytime, one race at night, what was the opinion of fans about how Richmond race, uh, you know, under sunshine instead of the lights? Right down the middle. You got this bunch over here that wants night racing. You got that bunch over there that wants day racing. I'm a day racing Richmond kind of guy. I don't need the need the lights. Yeah, it's spectacular. When they were packing the places uh, or when they were packing the place, you know, you, it would turn into the world's largest disco ball, all the camera flashes going off and all that. I think day Richmond gives a better race. I'm a fan of slipping and sliding. Um, I like seeing the guys work the cars around the racetrack, slide up a little bit. Yesterday was interesting because I don't think we got a true day Richmond race. We do know that the, that the, um, that the asphalt has aged. So I'm a day guy. There are a lot of folks that called in and tweeted me this morning that are night folks, but it's right down the middle as with just about everything in this world these days. See, I, I remember the night races being fun. It was real. And, and when it was sealed, it was awesome. And the night races were mm -hmm. great. And Steve and I have spent 20 minutes arguing about this before we came on the air. He tells me I'm completely wrong, and I'm just remembering good finishes is all it is. There's only one right answer here, Bagman, and you had it. Sunshine <laughs> for good racing at Richmond. I just don't think it. I think the night racing's better, Stevie. Yep. Come on. Okay, all right. You go back to Alabama. We're going to go back to Richmond in the day race. Day racing at I'm Richmond. I'm going to St. Pete this weekend, oh, not Saint Alabama. St. Pete, Pete. sorry. So let, let's move forward, though. We talked about day racing at Richmond. Um, you know you're going to have storylines leaving Talladega. So, so shake up your Magic 8 ball. Tell us who are we going to be talking about and why are we going to be talking about him on Monday after Talladega? Man, for all we know, we could be talking about Cody Ware winner race. Going into <laughs> Talladega. And that's no disrespect to Cody Ware. We don't normally see Cody up front. But as you know and I know and everybody knows, when you go to Talladega, you might want to take a dart and just put it right at the dartboard and hang on. Uh, it's all about surviving. It's all about who can get to the end. But I do know one thing, that when we go to Talladega, man, you got him inches apart. You got him two and three wide. You've got drama. You got side drafting and everything. That, to me, I love Talladega racing. And I love calling races at Talladega from RN. But then again, the better part about it is talking about it and Monday morning quarterbacking that. Well, this one should have gone with that one. Well, do we have to have the manufacturer deal and all that stuff? I can't give you a clear-cut favorite. I do know that I'm sure Kevin Harvick is hoping he makes it through in one piece and at least can get a top five, top ten finish. There's a few other guys in that compartment that, you know, you're in Talladega as striking pay dirt and coming out of there with something you didn't expect or going into Talladega saying, okay, boys, might want to buckle up, get the fab shop ready for this. As a matter of fact, get, get ready to haul this one out back behind the shop. But old Kevin but Harvick, I'm sure that he is wanting a good Talladega run. There the Talladega run right now. So do you got to put the like the pipes on ice on Saturday to get him ready for Sunday? Because I know on Sunday you will be race up Saturday. on it. Yeah. And the ARCA race, too. So we got an ARCA Xfinity double header, and then we'll ice down the pipes, and then on Sunday we'll make sure they're full song, especially if we get to the last 20 laps of that thing. Can't wait. So I know how much you love that place, Batman, because I've stood on that, that turn announcing stand with you uh, for a, a practice before, actually Xfinity race a few years ago. Another guy who loves that place, Brad Keselowski, maybe the best active driver at Talladega. Very uh, curious strategy call for him and his team at Richmond. I'm sure there were probably some calls on that as well today. 
Oh, we took a lot of calls. We took a lot of tweets about that. You know, it's easy on Monday when we have all the answers. But if you're buried mid-pack, and Stevie, you can remember you're buried mid-pack, I mean, do you go with what everybody else is doing? Or do you try to heave one for the end zone, get off cycle, and try to make an impact, get yourself track position, and potentially win the race? I thought it was admirable, and I thought it was kind of cool. But then there came that point of no return where it's like 35 to go in the stage. It's like, well, we got to stay out now, losing two seconds a lap. So, you know, we had we had to accept our own destiny. But I liked the call at first, the caution that he needed, and that that ultimately spelled their demise for a good top five, top ten finish on Sunday. All right, Bagman, that's where you and I split. You might like day racing at Richmond, but at no point did I think that was a good call for the two. He wasn't mid-pack. He was somewhere <laughs> inside the top ten. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of races, to, a lot of racing left to go. Um, I love aggression, but even that one got a little over my ski tips. I, I <laughs> couldn't on, sell that one for Stevie. Jeremy Bullins. You're a gambler, Stevie. Come on. <laughs> there. I'm out like gambling, but I don't walk at the casino and just give him my money. <laughs> I mean, I at least a have point. a chance. It's a good point. Uh, hey, Bagman, give us a quick preview of what's on TMD tomorrow. Uh, we got TMDJ Tuesday. We got um, Tuesday Takeaways. This is where we go a little deeper in depth as far as what happened over the weekend. We're going to go in the Xfinity race. We're going to go in the Cup race. We're going to talk to the folks. And uh, lots planned, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, Channel 90. Hey, bud, we appreciate the partnership between you guys at Sirius XM and us here at NBC Sports. And love having you and Pete on Motor Mouse. So we're looking forward to doing this this year. Likewise, and we always look forward to having you guys on with us midweek and Wednesday, Thursday time frame where you can spend some time on our air. We'll look forward to that again this year. It's going to be fun, boys. All right, bud. Thanks, baby. Looking forward to it. Have fun at Talladega. Ice the pipes. Ice the pipes. We'll do. All right. So, listen, I want to go back to that two strategy, and here's why. Yeah. I want to make sure everybody knows. I don't hate the strategy. I hate the timing of the strategy in this race. That's my point. If you were a back half lead lap car, no pace, already had won a race. I think all of those things add up to a pretty good gamble. But Brad was none of those. He is yet to have a win this year. He was okay. He was in the race. I mean, I don't know exactly where he was, but he was a couple spots plus or minus of Alex Bowman, who ended up winning the race. I felt like the upside didn't exist. There wasn't enough upside for the potential downside. That's my opinion. He dominated in that victory last September. And to me, I mean, you said on the podcast that, that it was like a Hail Mary pass with a superstar player who... At the end I of the third you, quarter. At the end of the third quarter. There was a quarter still I mean, to go. They, they took the ball out of the superstar yeah, player's hands. Yeah. I think that was the problem. I think that's the point. You have Brad. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just keep a minute. Just, there's a time, there's a reason the drivers are who they are, man. Just give them a chance in the closing laps. Love you breaking down the race today from Richmond and uh, love the, all the insight as well. There was a point where they probably could have bailed on that strategy, by the way, and probably could have put him in the game. I agree. They could have. They could have thing. Well, guess what you can't do? Yeah. You can't bail on a strategy at Talladega. That's right. <laughs> Make sure you check out Nate's podcast. By the way, Motor Mouse is also now a podcast. Did you know that? I did. And you can also hear us on Sirius XM, NAS, or Sirius XM Channel 211, not NASCAR Radio. That's Channel 90. We'll see you Wednesday for another Motor Mouse. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.